Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and today's Hemp Baron, an attorney by trade and an entrepreneur by birth, has been the driving force behind North Carolina's emergence back into the hemp industry. Building off the state's rich hemp heritage, his vertically integrated hemp company is leading the state by example out of prohibition. Let's join Joy's conversation with Bob Crumley from Founders Hemp. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Barons today. Thank you, Joy, for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's so great to have a hero among us. I don't know if you recall, I met you and your beautiful wife at a Hemp Industries Association conference some time ago at the back of the bus um, during a farm (laughs) tour. I think I was with Andrea Herman and Jace Calloway and his wife, Anita Hemela from Fanola. Do you remember that? I do remember that trip. That uh, That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So much fun. And you have been moving and shaking and leading the way in the nation and most certainly in North Carolina since then. And I first, before we get into Founders Hemp, which is has many brands here, everything from grain, extracts, um, your innovative agri products, which I think is fantastic, and, and the services that you provide. You know, the activism, really, you are such there's no real getting into hemp and being a leader in the hemp industry unless you're going to be an advocate. They go hand in hand. So by default, they're advocates. But you, by trade, before getting into hemp, you're an attorney. Am I right? Yes, still am a lawyer, a lawyer by training, an entrepreneur by birth. But yeah, I practiced and <laughs> had a law firm for a number of years before I got into the hemp industry. And boy, does that tee us up for the hemp revolution. <laughs> you know, I was raised by an attorney, worked with attorneys most of my adult life in hemp and in compliance and complex civil litigation. And you have used your lawyering skills to uh, such a fantastic degree on behalf of the hemp plant. And let me ask you this, before the 2018 Farm Bill, when of course, Thank goodness we got the words, including the seeds thereof, included in the definition of hemp. And as you're very familiar, in the Consolidated Appropriations Act a couple of years ago, we were also able to get the seeds of hemp um, at least protected from the use of federal funds or Department of Justice funds. But you, sir, had a situation where you were trying to get under the 2014 Farm Bill seeds for extracts sent from Kentucky to North Carolina. And tell us a little bit about what happened as you tried to get those seeds. Again, this is a few years back now, or 2017. Tell us a little bit about that story, Bob. Well, we were interested in not just seeds, but we're also interested in live plants, or as our in, in our industry, we call them clones, of course. Um, and so we were looking at getting that because we needed to plant. And the DEA was uh, giving North Carolina a hard time, as they gave a lot of states a hard time. We had tried multiple meetings uh, to get multiple meetings with them and just were not successful. And so I went to the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Commission, which is the ruling regulatory body, and I suggested that they join me and my company in a lawsuit against the DEA uh, for the DEA's position. And they voted uh, to join us in the lawsuit. But before that lawsuit could get filed, the Attorney General of North Carolina um, issued uh, an opinion, or one of their uh, associate attorneys actually issued the opinion, uh, that gave us uh, said that we had the right to take product across state lines. We could haul live plants, seeds across state lines. That the farm bill specifically allowed that to happen. And um, with that in our hand, within 24 hours of that uh, getting that document in our hand, we actually shipped 
uh, about 4,000 live plants from Kentucky to North Carolina. We shipped seeds from Colorado into North Carolina. And we actually invited the media to come out. Uh, we didn't try to hide from anybody. We invited the media to come out and actually had live media there when the truck arrived with it. Although I will t- tell you a funny story. It took the driver a whole lot longer to get back than it took him to get out there. And I said, well, how come it took you so much longer to get back? He said, because with a, with a truck full of hemp, I drove 55 miles an hour coming back. I didn't speed at all. <laughs> so, uh, but we got to <laughs> better in. believe it. Yeah. yeah. So it was, oh my uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a tough time. I mean, with the, with the, the DEA and, uh, but now of course the, the 2018 federal farm bill makes it very clear. The DEA is not in our wheelhouse anymore. The North Carolina, or the, excuse me, the USDA and the FDA, and of course, then the North Carolina Department of Ag as well. They're the regulatory bodies, not the DEA. Indeed. No, they are. They are in our rear view mirror, as I love to say. And, and as mm-hmm. I warned everybody, or at least tried to inform everybody, as soon as we get rid of the DEA, the FDA will be sitting there waiting for us. And they are. And, and we won't spend too much time in this show <laughs> talking about of course, they, they claim to be working diligently on trying to create a regulatory framework for hemp extracts as uh, supplements and, and is to be added as food and beverages. And mm-hmm. that's a pretty good segue into Founders Hemp. So when did Founders Hemp come along? When did you decide to found, as it were, Founders Hemp? <laughs> yeah, we, we actually set the company up, golly, I think it was in 2015 before the statute in North Carolina passed. And, you know, we obviously at that point in time, uh, the banks were really skittish. So actually the corporate name of our company was Innovative Business Growth LLC because my banker told me if they had the word hip in it, he couldn't open up an account. So we opened up the okay. account as Innovative Business Growth LLC. We're DBA founders hemp. But since then, of course, uh, that's not an issue uh, for us. We've got full banking here in North Carolina and I'm uh, very, very happy about that. But we decided to stand up the company, and we knew that we had to be vertically integrated simply because there is no commodity supply of hemp out there. And uh, we wanted to be able to make sure that our customers had the genetics that we wanted them to have as opposed to just buying anything off the street, as it were. And so we started out with growing our own hemp, processing it, and, of course, then retail or wholesale sales all the way to the retail stores. Mm, No, fantastic. And is it? Super quick aside, because there's so much that we like to inform our listeners of. When you say you have banking in North Carolina, do you mean you also have merchant account services in, in yeah. North Carolina? Or <clears throat> go ahead. We were the first hemp company in the United States, to my knowledge, to have a tier one bank credit card processing. And we also have lines of credit uh, with uh, tier one level banks in, in the United States. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it, I think there have been a couple of problems, obviously, with the hemp industry and merchant processing. Some of it, quite frankly, has been self-inflicted. There were a lot of people out there doing some crazy things, and it made banks and the credit card processors very nervous. Some of the folks that were involved early on in our industry may have come directly out of the marijuana industry, and there were a lot of banks that were concerned that it may have hemp in the name, but they would be selling marijuana out the back door. And the banks were just afraid of that. They were afraid of inadvertently violating the BSA or the money laundering issues. And I think that's played a big role with our company because um, my first job out of law school, I was in-house counsel for a bank, actually a savings and loan. And people mm-hmm. in, the, in the industry have known me. They've known my career path. 
And I think that helped us in large part. But yeah, we have we have wholesale credit card processing, we have retail credit card processing, and we have online credit card processing with the tier one bank. Indeed. And for what it's worth, you know, really, because we're so engrossed, Hemp Industries Association, and for many other reasons, I have to be so engrossed in what's happening with merchant account processing. And the reality is, as you well know, Elevon, mm-hmm. when they saw the writing on the wall that the, that the farm bill was going to be passed, they got in around November or so, and everyone got real excited. They started opening up accounts. Mm-hmm. Merchant account processing can be, like, like any industry, can be a dirty business. If there's affiliates within affiliates, as you know, selling mm-hmm. these things. And I think also what happened is some of the merchant account sellers themselves, who, of course, want the commissions from the transaction fees, also had a had a part to play in what happened to hemp and that they may have brought it on themselves more so than hempsters. I I would be more inclined, you know, even even to say that by getting in some of these medical and adult use cannabis and certainly they should have access as well within their own legal states. But I think they let some of them in and, and MasterCard found out about it, threatened Elevon, and I don't have to tell you the rest. Thank God, founder. That's industry self-inflicted. That's what I would say. Not not that it's just hemp people doing it, but again, it's some of these folks that were doing the ISOs or uh, the companies that sell credit card merchant processing, and they were just they were doing the wrong thing, and they make a bank nervous when you when a bank is sitting there. And I'm not I'm not taking the side of the banks. Don't get me wrong, but but you've got to at least recognize their dilemma. Because if they're sitting there inadvertently processing an illegal controlled substance, then they could be accused by the federal government of money laundering. And that's a very bad thing no, for a bank. Kiss the so we've got to police our own industry. We've got to police the people who provide services to our industry. And if we don't, then companies like Elevon and other companies will flee uh, because they're afraid, and rightfully so. And so I think that um, as our industry becomes more professional, mm-hmm. As people, I've been working on a speech that I've, I've been asked to give, and the title of my speech is going to be "The, the Laws of Business Apply to Cannabis." There's a lot of people <laughs> God, that get into the cannabis God industry. God bless you, that Bob. That's perfect. That, God bless you. <laughs> they, right, they, they think they think that the laws of business don't apply to cannabis, and I'm not just talking about laws. I'm not talking about statutes. I'm Practices. talking about things Practices. such as cash flow for a small business is more important. Yeah, business practice. I mean, I'm seeing hemp companies that are a year end to being a hemp company and they don't have a, a set of books or they they don't keep their books up or, I mean, just stuff that is common sense business, which is why, and sometimes in our industry, we think the laws of business don't apply to us, that we've got a product that is so wonderful that the, the laws of business don't apply. Look, they apply. You know- not only do they apply, they should Absolutely. apply. Absolutely. And I find that also, and I don't know if that's because we're coming from hysterical prohibition to folks think some unrealistic type of utopia or what's going on. But I find even even critical thinking hats seem to come off when it comes to hemp. So you'll be talking to even a critical thinker and all of a sudden when it comes to hemp or hemp products, whether it's extract, textiles, or even paper, right. all of a sudden they stop asking critical questions like, right. Gee, did, did you happen to Let me use give you a, a great bunch ex- of chemicals on this textile? Go ahead. Let me give you a great mm-hmm. example. I, I have trained five banks in North Carolina. One of them's a national bank. I've trained five banks, their compliance officers and stuff on hemp and cannabis to help them get ready for cannabis customers. So occasionally they will call me when they've got a deal presented to them 
They don't tell me the company name. They don't tell me the state that it's in. They just say, we've got this kind of structure being presented to us. What do you okay. think? My favorite one recently was a group that wanted to build a processing facility that had the ability to process 10,000 pounds a day. So I said to the banker, I said, let's just do the rough math. <laughs> if you do the rough math, and if the if the raw hemp is costing them, let's just say market rate these days about $30, $35 a pound. So let's just say conservatively $30 a pound, and they're processing 10,000 pounds a day. I, said, I asked the banker, I said, does this company have the capacity to handle $300,000 a day cash flow before they even think about all their extraction chemicals or other costs. (laughs) It's like some people in the hemp industry have eaten. I think they watched that movie about the baseball field. If you build it, they will come. And I think some people in the hemp industry have taken the idea. If I build an extraction facility that will produce can can process 10,000 pounds a day, by golly, I'll be able to sell 10,000 pounds mm-hmm. a day. My response is not necessarily. <laughs> and so it, it's just, it, it's just, you need, folks need to take a step back. What was it? A former Fed chairman called it irrational exuberance. Mm. Take a step back from the irrational exuberance and realize this needs to be a sustainable industry, a sustainable business. We owe that to our customers. We owe this to the people who have maladies that our product is good for. And and we need to approach it that way and approach it businesslike. And I think we do that at Founders Hemp. And I think, quite frankly, it's one of the reasons why and, you know national banks have taken, responded to us when we ask for lines of credit or processing or whatever the case no may be. No doubt. So I would encourage your listeners, I would encourage people in our industry, pay attention to the business aspects of your business, not just the floral aspects of your business, not just about the creative aspects of the business, but about the business aspects of the business Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And and no doubt, as you well know, most small businesses fail, whether you're just selling a widget. And we're not in a widget revolution here. We're in an industrial, agricultural, public health revolution with a plant that has been demonized and we've been socially engineered. So if you're going to have trouble surviving as a small business owner operator selling widgets, believe me, <laughs> you're going to have trouble in hemp if, you, if you're not applying these best business practices. Right. Breaking the stigma is something that we need to do. And I can't tell you the number of people that I've seen, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, they come to the door of our retail store, they put a hand on the door, and then they look both ways as if they're trying to see if anybody's watching God. them go in. They still got that little I stigma. Know. Now, after they come into our store and they realize we're, it's not a bad place, it's a healthy place, they lose that yeah. stigma. But it's it's one customer, two customers at a time. If as an industry, we feed the stigma, I mean, I've seen some ads by some of our competitors, they cuddle right up against the marijuana, they cuddle all up against the illegal aspect of it, and I don't think that's good for the mm-hmm. industry. Because we need to be about breaking that stigma, not embracing that stigma. Such a fantastic gauntlet to navigate here. And and you do such a great job of it at Founders Hemp. And let's talk a little bit about what Founders does. In Vertically Integrated, are the brands that are on your website all owned? And there are some beautiful ones, Historically Healthy, Historical Remedy, Hemp Symmetry, Howland Hemp. 
Innovative Agri Products and Hemp Excellence. Mm-hmm. Are those all brands that are owned by founders? Yes, they're all our brands. Uh, we decided early on not to have a monolithic marketing plan, but to rather, as you can see, by having different products, um, each one of those products is goes to a segment of the market. And so we've just, that's the decision we made. There are people out there in the industry who've decided to have a monolithic brand and they'll put the same brand in a convenience store or a doctor's office. And we don't do that. And so we've segmented brands out based on market. Mm. And some of it with innovative agri-products, that is the arm of the company that sells, it looks like, maybe ingredient suppliers as well as genetics and provide services. Right. We, that is our farming entity and also our extraction entity. Um, it sells uh, clones and uh, seedlings to farmers. It also buys hemp. It, it, it extracts hemp. And its biggest customer is Founders Hemp. Um, but its biggest customer is not going to be Founders Hemp probably uh, by the end of this year or for sure not next year. We've got some fairly big contracts with, uh, with some national companies uh, that we will be selling raw oil into them for either we'll, we'll provide them a product, they'll do bottling. In some cases, we do bottling for them, uh, white label bottling. So, uh, But that particular company, Innovative Agri-Products, does that. It also is very active in the smokable hemp arena. And we have our own brand of smokable hemps and pre-rolls that we sell in our stores, but also into wholesale customers, tobacco shops, other kind of shops, vape shops, whatever. No, outstanding. And and just Founders Hemp, for your growers, do you folks employ any regenerative agricultural techniques or what is Founders sort of philosophy around agriculture and soil in terms of field selection and, and the way that you farm the plant? Well, one of the things that we make sure that we do with our farmers, we know that this plant is an uptake plant, meaning that if there's heavy metals in the soil, that it will, uh, it can uptake those heavy metals. And so we always like to have our farmers do heavy metal testing on their fields. And if we have a field, you know, I mean, heavy metals in and of themselves are not bad, right? They serve useful purposes in the right amounts. But when you are beginning to extract, and if there's heavy metals in the plant and then you extract it, you can get higher levels of, of, of heavy metals. And that may not be a good thing. We work with our farmers, test the fields, not just for pH and, and what fertilizers may be needed, but also heavy metals. We're very careful with that in that regard. Uh, we also then test the flour when it comes to the farmer's field to make sure that uh, that we have not had an excess uptake of heavy metals or, or pesticides or herbicides, of course, not yet being permitted on those yet. So. We have a very stringent, we're the first hemp company east of the Mississippi River to be GMP certified. And so we have decided as a company that we are on the high quality side of this market. We're not trying to be the low cost, cheap provider. We don't buy foreign isolate or foreign products and uh, mix it with American products. All of our products are grown in the United States, processed in the United States. And so we made a very early commitment in Founders that we were going to be on the upper end of quality, hence our push to become the first GMP certified, and we're well on our way to being ISO certified, we think, perhaps by the end of the year. And when you say GMP certified, did you did you have a third-party verifier come in? Because that, as you know, that is where it's at for CBD right now. So fantastic. Yes, we had a third party. Uh, one of the testing companies you know, came in, and we actually had a pre-audit. Uh, done by another company, and then we the auditing company comes in for the full GMP audit, uh, and we were audited under the nutritional supplement standard. So the, there's a real interesting issue going on out there 
there's different, obviously different levels of GMP depending on where you're at. And we chose to go with uh, the more, more difficult nutritional supplement brand or level. And so uh, we're in fact certified GMP. It's really interesting. I was speaking on a panel at the New Orleans hemp conference this year. And at the same time that I'm on the panel, literally the same hour that I'm on the panel, we received our GMP certification notice. And so we're really, we're really excited about that. We were high-fiving each other at the, uh, at the conference there in New Orleans. So important, you know, and most of us, as you may be aware, I'm the president of the Hemp Industries Association. And we, of course, like, like the American Herbal Products Association, one of our coalition partners, have adopted a policy. And you're, of course, founders is a, is a valuable member of the HIA, want our members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you are involved in dietary supplements, then 21 CFR 111 needs to rule your life. If you are involved in food production, then 21 CFR 117 needs to rule your life. And we go right back to where we started, Bob, which is the laws of business apply to your business. So just because the FDA is, you know, extolling this guidance position that the industry leaders, of course, we strongly disagree with their guidance that it is a violation of federal law to market CBD as a dietary supplement or a food. The reality is there are regulations around manufacturing dietary supplements and food. It's so critical in our industry that we need to be concentrating on quality. You know, look, our detractors are going to use negative quality as a reason to be against our product, not just be against that particular product, but to be against hemp Absolutely. itself. And so when you're in a brand new industry, that's coming out of an illegal industry, and now it's legal industry. Now there's a lot of a uh, lot of bullseyes on you, and you need to be uh, concentrated into the quality side. And so we made that commitment internally. Our quality control manager has multiple years in the food industry, and came to us, and we're just very very pleased with the result. And uh, I said we're the next level for us is to ISO twenty. I can't remember the levels twenty some thousand level that we're going for now and hopefully be there before the end of the year. So that, that would be very exciting. Fantastic. So critical. I, I came on in January um, also as Elixinol's regulatory officer and industry liaison. And it it means everything to be transparent um, and to Mm -hmm. just toe the line Mm -hmm. with quality assurance and and safety. And, and that brings us to a product that I I was just going to say, we took the transparency one step Mm -hmm. further. When we built, we actually had a pharmaceutical consulting company help design our facility. And one of the things that we did in it was put a viewing conference room above our production facility. So we've actually held our county's Economic Development Corporation has held a board meeting there. We've held two Rotary Club meetings. We held uh, meetings with the local school system with uh, students. Uh, they're now looking at some uh, uh, in the community college system, some, some uh, classes specifically related to hemp processing. So we've got these big, huge, giant picture windows over this big conference room that looks out over our processing facility so people can actually see and, and, and see the cleanliness and, and the processing that we do. We, we made a very, very conscious decision in this company to be fully transparent for our customers, but also for the community. So the community doesn't feel that something weird is going on there, that instead they, they look at it and they go, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. The quality, pretty cool. I mean, when they see our staff in there with the, with white coat jackets on, beard nets, hair nets, gloves, they suddenly go, wow, these are people are not extracting in their bedroom or their bathroom or their kitchen table. This is a real 
real deal here. It's so, so important for our industry. I believe. Absolutely. Leading, leading that example. And in fact, it's not, it, it reaches beyond transparency into education and demonstration. So while they're seeing a shining example of how these facilities should be operated, they're also getting their own ideas. Something's happening specific to North Carolina right now. So I know that the legislation was crazy this year, and I know that you've been a big proponent of allowing smokable hemp in North Carolina. And that's one issue. The other issue being that now all of a sudden the North Carolina Department of Ag, after, you know, issuing so many licenses, knowing full well uh, these last few years that folks have been growing for hemp extract, specifically for cannabinoids and specifically for cannabidiol, generally speaking, within that group. And now all of a sudden issuing guidance that North Carolina may not market hemp-derived cannabinoids, hemp-derived CBD specifically as a dietary supplement or food. Tell us a little about a, a little bit about A, the smokable <laughs> hemp issue, and B, right. this new right. Uh, right. guidance. Yeah, it, it's really funny. Um, I, t- I, t- I talk about this all the time, whether I'm um, whether I'm speaking to bankers or law enforcement or the local Rotary Club, whomever. And I, I always tell people, I say, in 2017, I believe it was the uh, the FDA issued 16 warning letters, as I recall. I think I'm correct on the number. 16 warning letters to hemp companies. Not once, not one single warning letter did the FDA then or even now did they say you are you are marketing. CBD cease and desist immediately. They didn't say you are marketing CBD as a as a nutritional supplement and you've got nutrition supplement facts on your bottle, cease and desist that immediately. They have not said that. What they have said is in the supplement facts on your bottle, you say you've got 25 milligrams. We tested it. You've only got 15. Either fix your product or fix your label. Now think about that for a second. On the one hand, the FDA and North Carolina, they send out a, a missive saying it's illegal to do these products, to put them into food or put them in nutritional supplements. And then the, on the next sentence, they're saying, but if you do that, here's the best way to make sure that your nutrition facts or your supplement facts are correct. The other thing that they've done on their warning letters is to say you can't make unfounded claims. And I agree with that. And so when you've got, when you've got companies, uh, out there saying uh, one company I think had a, on their website CBD is a cancer cell killer. Well, th- that's going to drive the the FDA crazy every single minute of the day, and it should. And so, if you really look at what the FDA and what North Carolina is saying, is technically, technically, since the FDA has not issued regulations, technically we're not allowed to sell what we're selling. But the FDA has said. I'm just going to interrupt you there. I'm just going to interrupt you there, just because Mm -hmm. I speak on this all the time as well, obviously. Mm -hmm. And you're so close. By 2016, there were 14 total warning letters issued. There were six issued in 2016, but there had been eight issued in 2015. So by the end of 2016, you know, we we had these 14 letters, and even as it sits today, there's only 23 total letters. That have ever been issued and, by the FDA. <clears throat> this is, but but the, the point here is that this technically, technically is again, and I'm surprised. <laughs> I love my brother. You're actually you're chopping the wood and carrying the water for the FDA here. 
And what we say is, no, not technically. Number one, the, the generally, I think the issue, the industry, the coalition industry takes issue with the FDA and says, hey, we're not even convinced, first of all, that the approval of Epidiolex actually met the statutory requirements. I agree, I agree with all for, that. I agree with yes. yes, yes, yes. The scope and length of trial and funding and all of those things. And so, and so it sucks that, that North Carolina is unlike New York. Now, keep in mind, New York, which is where I live now after 20 years in Seattle, I'm back in New York. And, you know, very highly regulated state, very proud of its regulations and the stamp that comes from agriculture and so on and so forth in New York. But even they say they disagree with the FDA, not for quality assurance. In fact, under the agricultural pilot program here, you have you have no choice but to process under 21 CFR 111 that mm-hmm. you sign an agreement saying that you're going all of those things. But they said, if you are going to make these products in New York, you can only market them as a dietary supplement, as you well know, mm-hmm. no doubt, no mm-hmm. food or beverages mm-hmm. in New York for CBD, but as a dietary supplement. And then we see North Carolina Department of Ag going the opposite and sort of saying, well, technically you're not allowed to do that. So here in North Carolina, we're not allowing you to do that. So well, how are you they're, handling they're, 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 <laughs> Okay, when I say technically, I'm taking yeah. the FDA's position. I'm not taking Bob Crumley's position. Yeah. I'm not taking Founders Hand's <laughs> position. Okay. So when, when I say yeah. when I say that the FDA says the FDA is basically winking and nodding at this industry. And they've been winking and nodding yeah. at this industry since 2015. They've been saying Or we certainly see a lot more letters. Yes. Well, you see more letters, but you only see letters as it relates to the quantity. Of, of product in that you're stating on your nutrition facts or supplement facts, and you're seeing letters related to unsubstantiated claims. And not once. No, I, I, I said, have not I, seen I a said, single oh, letter we, that oh, says you can't I, grow it. No, no, I don't mean that. I, I actually think you misheard me. I said, or we would be seeing more letters. Oh, 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 I yeah, agree yeah, with you're you're right. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So what's North Carolina? Why is North Carolina doing what it's doing? For, okay. And for how two are reasons. you handling it? You're the oh, king, I, king I, of extracts perfect, down perfect. there. How are you handling it? <laughs> Perfect question. North Carolina is doing this because North Carolina has a very special relationship with the FDA. We actually, North Carolina Department of Ag actually runs a very large testing facility for the FDA. And North Carolina mm. is not going to take a, a position that is contra to the FDA's position. That's my opinion. Okay. Ah, I've been in meetings it. with got them. It. I've been in meetings with them. I know. Okay. I sat across from a meeting in a meeting with the Department of Ag, and the statement was made to me, Bob, we're not going to inspect you guys right now because the FDA has not given us guidance on how to inspect you. And I said, okay, you understand we're not going to stop processing and we're not going to stop (laughs) selling. And they said, we know it's okay. So North Carolina is doing exactly what the FDA has done is they send out these letters saying, okay, since the FDA hasn't issued final regulations, we don't think you can do this, but we're not shutting anybody down. We're not pulling products from shelves. We're not doing, we're not doing any of that kind of stuff. And so, Love. but hey, I'll tell you one thing that I believe, I call this gray area, right? And mm-hmm. I believe very strongly, Joy, that this gray area has been very, very good for small businesses to get started. 
Because had it been yeah. very clear, black and white, day one, the big boys would have jumped in and they would have crushed all the mom and pops, all the young companies like mine getting started. What what the gray has done for us as an industry, it's allowed us to develop some small to middle-sized companies that the big boys are going to have to play with as the as when the big boys get to jumping in. It's exactly what happened in the vape industry. The big boys sat on the sidelines for the vape industry for a period of time and then started jumping in once things got a little more secure in that industry. And I think that's going to happen in our industry. So I believe all the great. As you're familiar with the hemp industry, the hemp movement on all of Mm -hmm. its forms, textiles, building materials, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. body care was built on the backs of the cottage industry. And it's amazing the light that, as I say, sort of the cracks in the shadow and the light where hemp is able to shine through. And, and aren't, right. didn't you just hit it on the head that, that right. boy, the, the universe conspires in our favor, if I could get spiritual for a minute well, there, Bob? Absolutely. One, one great example. When a national hamburger chain on 420 of this year, April 20th of this year, put a uh, <laughs> hemp, extra, hemp extract uh, barbecue sauce on burgers and sold them for $4.20, as I understand, <laughs> that was a look to the FDA going, okay, <laughs> whatever. And what did the FDA do? They didn't do anything. Okay. So mm-hmm. I believe, I believe, let's, let's take the vape industry for a second. The, the vape industry yeah. was around for what, 14 years before the FDA started doing any significant regulation? Will mm-hmm. our industry be around for 14 years before they get around to issuing regulations? I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. I don't think we will. But we know, I know, I I believe very strongly that what we produce in our facility is going to be inspected and regulated pursuant to 111, CFR 111. Yes. And so, so that's what, so that's when we went, when we got the pharmaceutical consulting company to help design our building, we asked them to design it to that standard. When we went and got GMP certified. We were GMP certified under Section 111. And so, you know, again, I agree with what you said a minute ago, Joy. You couldn't, I couldn't have said it better. If you're in the hemp industry and you're making food, push yourself to GMP food. If you're in the nutritional mm-hmm. supplement end of it, push yourself to GMP nutritional supplement. Get the quality. And cosmetics build the, the quality same. In. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I still want to talk about the smokable hemp aspect before we go, but I just also wanted to give a nod, of course, to uh, the Founders Hemp brand that is skincare. When we said cosmetics, because, of course, you've got your grain brand and you've got Hemp Excellence, the body care brand and your extracts as, as well. So cosmetics are so important. But let's talk for a minute again, the, the advocacy with regard to the issue in the North Carolina legislature of smokable hemp versus not allowing it. Right. There was a, a few members of the General Assembly who, for various reasons, have a problem with smokable hemp. Primarily, it's law enforcement's creation, I believe. And the North Carolina SBI State Bureau of Investigation got involved, sent an email or letter out to all the legislators saying how they could not any longer um, search people's cars when they smelled or saw what they thought was marijuana because it could be hemp. Look, I just got interviewed earlier today by a TV station on this issue here in North Carolina, and I told them what I'll tell you. Over two and a half years ago, Joy, I called the North Carolina SBI, the North Carolina ALE, Alcohol Law Enforcement, 
the North Carolina Police Chiefs Association and the North Carolina Sheriff's Association offered myself up to come teach them and help them to get past this issue on smokable hemp and other issues in the cannabis industry. The Sheriff's Association said, we, we don't need you at our event. Thanks for calling. The SBI and the ALE never called us back. The Police Chiefs Association called us back and allowed me to speak at their event. So later now, two and a half years have gone by, North Carolina leadership, law enforcement leadership has done nothing to get a roadside test kits available out there as an entity they have it. So then they send this email letter to all the legislators saying, our law enforcement is getting hurt. We can't tell the difference between hemp and marijuana on the street. And that's not true. Guilford County Sheriff's Department in North Carolina tested a roadside test kit in 2017 and 2018, that was 100% correct on distinguishing between hemp and marijuana. Virginia has now issued uh, drug test kits on the roadside to test the difference between hemp and marijuana. And so we've got law enforcement in North Carolina that are, in my opinion, not giving all the, all the facts to the legislators. It's caused some legislators to be caught in a whipsaw between do we help farmers and hurt law enforcement? And us as an industry, we've been saying you can help both. We've offered a multitude of, of things, whether open container provision in, a, in an automobile uh, to assisting the state with getting ro roadside test kits. I know that supposedly the DEA is coming out with some test kits that, that will uh, be able to tell the difference between hemp and marijuana. So there's been a big boo ha rah rah uh, I don't think the statute's going to pass in North Carolina. If it passes and if the governor signs it, the ban smokable hemp sometime next year, I don't think the courts will allow that to stain it. The the uh, the farm bill is very clear. 18 farm bills very clear. States and Indian tribes cannot change the definition of hemp. And if you're going to ban part of the hemp plant because you're saying it is a controlled substance, you have changed the definition, and that is illegal under federal law. So I, I don't. I, it, it is a, it is somewhat worrisome that our state might try that, but I don't think it's going to ultimately be successful. It's such a fascinating revolution as we navigate our way through the oh so many uses of the hemp plant, and you and the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Coalition certainly played a huge part in and continue to play a huge part in educating the legislature and and seeing how how we move forward there. Well. I just thank you so very much for being with us today, Bob, for everything sure, that Joy. you do, not only to lead the industry, but just as an advocate, as a champion for the plant, as a champion for common sense, inclusive law and regulation as we steward our way through the reemergence of this versatile, viable crop. Thank you for everything you do, Bob. Well, we thank and we thank you and the HIA. I mean, the work that you guys have done, the plowing the field that you all did for years and years. It's just been so, so good for us. And, and to be a, a, a part of the HIA as a member, uh, I would tell your listeners, if you're not a member of HIA, join now. We've got to stand together. We've got to work together. And HIA does a fabulous job at that. Thank you. Well, we've built our coalition partners so, so much. And that's joinhemp.org. And for Founders Hemp, that's foundershemp.org. And something tells me with conference season coming up, Bob, I'm going to get to see you and your lovely wife again soon. <laughs> we, I'm sure you will. I'll, uh, I'll be speaking at the North Carolina Bankers Association meeting in September, and I'm not sure where I'm speaking. Uh, there's another speaking engagement sometime after that, but uh, yeah, love to help. 
people not in the hemp industry get educated about hemp too. So I look forward to speaking to the North Carolina bankers soon. So important. So important. Thank you again, Bob. Have such a great harvest Thank season. All righty. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.